spoken, this is God's word, to then drive us and motivate us to live differently. Okay? So today we'll be in Luke chapter 15, and I have titled today's sermon, Further Insights into the Father's Love. And like I said, the goal is that we would be overwhelmingly encouraged by our Father's love for us to then go and replicate it. Because, and if you write one thing down today, if you write it in your mind, the person who knows the Father's love will show the Father's love. That's the main point of this sermon. The person who knows the Father's love will show the Father's love. And so we're going to be focusing specifically on the former part of that statement. We want to know the love of the Father. So we turn to a very um, popular chapter of the Bible uh, where we will find, uh, and we'll skip to the end, but there's three parables all talking about something that has been lost. And it climaxes at the end, starting in verse 11, with the parable of the prodigal son. And I know that we've all heard this, so what I want you to do is fight with your attention span right now because if you look at the Word, God will show you something. God will show you something this morning, even if you think that you're very familiar with this passage. Um, And I just want to give one more disclaimer. I'm not focusing on the main part of this passage, which I believe to be the older brother um, at the end. I do believe that's the main part of this passage. I won't be focusing there. I'll be focusing on the prodigal son and the father. So as we seek the Father's love, and as we look at this parable here in Luke chapter 15, we have to come to grips with the characters of the parable. And we've got to shoot straight with ourselves. We are, or we were, the prodigal son. That's us in this parable, okay? And the Father in this parable is the Father, God of the universe. And throughout the account, you have the condition and determination of the son, you have the son's proposal to the father, and then you have the father's reaction. So let me read, starting in verse 11. Please follow along with me. It says this, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So we, we open up the, the account here. The father has two sons. Remember, this is a parable. This is a teaching that Jesus is using to sim- symbolize something else. So he says there's two sons. The younger one is currently fed up with his living situation, and he wants, which is a very disrespectful and shameful thing to do, especially in this culture and context, he wants his share of uh, the inheritance um, in advance. Okay, that's the shameful part. He wants his share of the, of the inheritance in advance, Um, especially since he's going to use this inheritance to spend it shamefully um, and in sin. So notice the son, he he takes this all, the father gives it to him, um, and not many days later he gathers up everything that he was given and he heads to a faraway country. He's not heading down the road so that an aunt or an uncle or a friend can tell on him. He went far away from his father. He went far away from his family. He goes far away from all of his responsibilities to a faraway town. He goes and he lives recklessly. And I think that as we open up here, this is honestly just revealing the desires of his heart already. That he wants to go and he wants to live recklessly. He's done with his family. He's done with his dad. And he wants to go and squander uh, what he has. And we see in verse 14, as I read here, that he spends every last penny. So it says, And when he had spent everything, 
a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is really the wrong time to be in need for this guy, right? A severe famine just happens to strike as soon as he spends all of his money, okay? So he has to go find employment. Um, And this really shows his utter destitution apart from his father. Apart from his father, he's got nothing. So he was in deep trouble, no one to blame but himself. His sin was great, sin was massive, and now the shame and guilt of the entire situation is beginning to fall on his shoulders like a cherry on top, right? He's now in the pig pen. Doesn't really get much worse than this, right? Gets a job feeding pigs. He's absolutely lost. And, And just remember, as we go through this, this is us. This was us, okay? Just keep that in the back of your mind. So he's puffed up with pride, thinking that he could do it his own way, thinking that we could do it our own way. Our way is best. And eventually, like I said, this leads him straight into the pig pen. In other words, our life or his life here in this parable, apart from the father, comes to a crash. And the mess that it makes is too great for us to clean by ourselves. Leaves us, again, destitute, lost. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he comes to himself, he comes to his senses, and he begins to plan his proposal. He's going to go back, he's going to go back to dad. He's going to go back to the homestead. He's going to go back to the farm. He's going to tell him, these things that he's planning out. He recognizes his sinfulness. He recognizes his need for the Father. And remember, it's, it's the Father and what he provided that is drawing him back to the Father, right? He's remembering. I just remember how he cared for his servants. I remember what it was like back then. I, I got to go back to that. So it's, it's the Father drawing him back in. And what I love about this parable is the Son is rehearsing this, okay? So he's I mean, how many times have you been at work and you're just playing things in your mind, like, this is what I'm going to do when I get home, or this is what I'm going to do when I talk to this person? Like, you, you, like, play that out. Some of you do it in front of the mirror at home, right? And so this is how I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to look this way, look all cool, right? He's saying, he's got to take me back. I mean, I probably ruined my chances as a son, right? I probably ruined that. Um, but as a servant, I think I could do that. I think he would take me back in as a servant. I mean, I am his own flesh and blood, right? He's got to take me back as a servant. He's working up the guts to say this. And like I said, you guys have been here. This happened to me not too long ago. Sarah and Rodney, are they still here? I don't see them. I was playing football in the front yard, in, in the front yard of the church. And I threw the football, and it smacked the mirror right off their car. Just broke it completely. And they were here at an event. I don't know what was going on. Uh, but me as a 23-year-old is now rehearsing in my mind, how am I going to tell them about the broken mirror that I just broke, Right? Now, I remember doing that when I was six years old with my neighbors, with, if I threw a baseball through the window or something, right? But now I'm 23, and I have to go tell them that I just broke their mirror on their car. Um, so I think we can all resonate with this. We've all been in a situation where we're working up the guts to say something, and here you have the son who's finally ready to make the long, long journey back home to repent of his sin and to see if there's any chance that he can be taken back in. 
And honestly, if he's already shooting to just become a servant, then his hopes and his confidence going in is not very great. Um, and he's not very confident that he will get a nice welcome back home. So this is where the parable kind of turns. And this is where we're going to see the, the love of the Father highlighted and very real to us. Okay? So I'm going to have three application points. And then, I, like I said, this is going to take us and encourage us and, be, and motivate us to live differently. So let's read here in, in verses 20 through 24. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Isn't that amazing? You have a son who has done literally nothing but wrong to the father. Literally nothing but wrong. Since he left the house. He's made an awful name for himself. The people in this faraway country probably think ill of this family, right? He's ruined their name because of his reckless living. He's depleted the family of at least one-third of their resources. This isn't just inheritance in this culture was not just money, right? It was land. It was, it was animals. It was stuff like that too, okay? So one-third of their resources that they needed, which were probably not earned back, he squandered it. He's got rid of it all. He's disgraced the home by leaving all the work to the father and the other brother. And he is approaching home with a speech in hand, maybe written on a piece of papyrus, right? A little, little paper. He's written it out. He's rehearsed it. He's gone through it in his head over and over again. He worked up the guts to finally say it. Maybe he even has specific sins listed down like, yeah, I was prideful. I was greedy. I, was, I cheated. I lied. I, I did all these things. He probably maybe even wrote those things down. And as he's a long way off, the father sees him. The son is famished. Right? It says that he was absolutely hungry. He was in a famine, in a place where there was a famine. He had to walk home this way, which means he was probably weak. He was probably limping. He was probably hurt. Looking up, he sees his father running towards him, expecting maybe a punch to the face, but he gets a kiss. Expecting maybe a push to the ground, but he's wrapped in a tight hug. Expecting maybe hatred and anger, the son gets compassion in love. I imagine in this parable, remember this is just a, a story told to symbolize something. I imagine it went something like the son pushes the father off, like taken aback by the hug and the kiss, and he's saying, uh, I got this speech, and he starts reading it, choking up through it, right? And he's trying to get through the speech. He's saying, I got this sin, and I did this, and, and would you just take me back as your servant? And as he's saying those things, he literally hears the father saying, bring the best robe. Kill the fattened calf. Get shoes for his feet and a ring for his finger. He's saying all these things. Can you believe that? Everything the son deserved, he did not get. And everything he did deserve, or he didn't deserve, he got. Right? Everything the son deserved, he did not get. And everything he didn't deserve, he got. Again, we are the son and the father is the father. So, I have three application points that I see from this. There's many here. Um, 
but I think these are helpful because these are often ways we don't think about God's love for us. We don't think this way because we think God is mad. God is angry with me. And let me be clear, if you are here and you're not in Christ today, if you have not repented of your sin and believed in the gospel, that is the truth. But if you're here and you're a believer, God is not mad at you. God is not angry at you. So we see first, the father holds no grudge. We see in this parable the son repenting of his sin, seeing his need for the father. So when he comes home, expecting to be forsaken, he is then forgiven. The first thing the father does is feels compassion towards him, right? If we are in Christ, this is us. This is how the father loves. We actually read this today, providentially. Um, My phone is not working, so you might have to go to the next slide. It says Ephesians 4, 31-32, I'll read it, I know it's small. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The Father does not hold a grudge, he forgives you. And actually in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that Jesus became sin, who didn't know any sin, so that we would become the righteousness of God. The switch happens, right? And so the Father looks down, sees the righteousness of Christ on us, and puts the, the sin and, and the weight of guilt and shame and all that on Christ on the cross, so that God could forgive us through Christ. So the Father doesn't hold a, a grudge. And this is what happens. When, when this happens, God then sees you, like I said, righteousness of Christ. But not only that, God sees you, and it parallels perfectly with this parable here, sees you as a son or as a daughter. So look at this. Romans 8. Yeah, it's the next one. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So in other words, all those that have put their faith in Christ become sons or daughters of God. Okay, we continue. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's a lot of theology wrapped up in those verses. But we see here that If we put our faith in Christ, God has forgiven us, and then he's changed our status to be a son or a daughter, so that we don't have a spirit of fear or a spirit of slavery to fall back into, but we have a spirit of adoption. We have been adopted by God, and we call out and call him Father. That's amazing. So when we are a son or a daughter of the Father, there is no grudge holding over sin because the sacrifice to make all this possible, to make you a son, to make you a daughter, all of this is possible because, in what it says in Hebrews 10, by that we'll be, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There is a one-time sacrifice that happened, literally a historical event that happened, that cleansed us from this and made us a son or a daughter literally brought us into a family. And this family's perfect. And the father doesn't hold a grudge on you, right? We, as earthly fathers, earthly parents, we fail in this area. 
so easy to hold grudges. So easy to hold grudges with our family members and our friends and, and people at school and people at work. It's so easy to do that. The Father, when you are in Christ, does not do that. He does not. And then we also see in Hebrews chapter 8, it says this, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, where God says to his people that he will remember their sins no more. Okay? And so we see here in this parable, we come to God with our sin. We're like this prodigal son. We come with the list, right? We come with the list saying, I failed in all these areas. Look, see, I did those against you, Dad. Right? We, we come to him with all those sins, and we are saying, I, I can't even be a son anymore. Just, just make me a, a mere servant. I can't be a son. I can't be a daughter anymore because look, this is what I've done. And we hand him the list and the father says, what sin are you talking about? And he throws the list away because of what the son did. Now, I'm not sitting here excusing sin. We struggle with sin all the time, right? None of us are perfect. We all know this. I'm not sitting here excusing sin. But what God sees us as is not a sinner anymore, not a, a lost son or a lost daughter anymore. God sees us as one of his own. And so he's not holding a grudge against us. Number two, the second point is the father is zealous to feel compassion. So here comes the son burdened by the consequences of his actions, but the father first feels compassion, right? We saw that. Um, in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That was the first thing he felt. He felt compassion towards his son. Look at this in the Psalms. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Right? He's taking this fatherly relationship to a child, and as the father shows compassion to your children, think about that if you're in that role, how you show compassion to your children. As the Father shows that to His children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. In other words, how the Lord shows that to His children, to His sons, His daughters. Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the encapsulating uh, point of He felt compassion. God is merciful. God is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you didn't know, that is the most repeated verse in the Bible. And repetition shows importance, right? This is what is being repeated, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, that he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. All the areas that we fail, right, as parents, as friends, as family members, all the areas that we fail, he does them to the perfect degree. So the Father is not angry at us as we tend to think, even when we mess it all up. He is zealous to show compassion. He is running with arms wide open, even when we are a long way off. And again, I want to clarify. I hope we are not seeing this as God just excusing sin. Like it doesn't matter. He throws the paper, the speech away because it doesn't matter. That's not the truth. It does matter. What the son did caused deep pain for his father. Caused deep pain for the rest of his family. Caused deep pain for probably many other people uh, that he came into contact with, just as our sin does. Our sin has consequences, and it causes deep pain for those around us when we sin against people. When we sin against ourselves, it causes deep pain. The things that we hate about ourselves is our sin, right? And it just causes so much angst and anger and 
Sorrow and depression. Our sin does that. So I'm not saying that it's excused. Our sin is bad and it separates us from God. That is massive. Our sin separates us from God. But since Jesus died as our substitute, then we are not seen, again, as the lost daughter anymore. We're not seen as the dead son anymore. We're alive and we're found. And this is how the Father sees us. That's what he exclaims to the other people. He says, my son was dead, but he's found. He's alive. He was lost, but he's found, right? That's what he's crying out to the people around him. And so the third point here is that the Father rejoices over us. The Father rejoices over us. So after the hug, after the embrace, we see this getting taken further. The hug and the kiss, the nice words, all of that, that was great. But like, once they get back to the house, there's going to be some punishment, right? There's going to be some, going to be some uh, spankings handed out, right? You would expect, that's what we're thinking, like, okay, they get to the house and then the real punishment comes in. No. The Father is overjoyed to celebrate this return. He is killing the fattened calf. He is putting the best robe on him. He is getting a ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. The return of the son, the return of what was lost, what was dead, is filling the father with joy. Zephaniah 3.17, this is a great verse. This is God talking about his people again. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That's what God will do. The God of the universe is going to sing over top of you. I don't even know what that looks like, but it sounds amazing, right? He's exalting over you with loud singing. He's rejoicing over you with gladness. Again, if you're in Christ, this is true. So we're picturing this kind of love here in this parable, and that's incredible. This is how the Father loves His children. This is how the Father loves His children. This is how fathers and mothers and Christians are supposed to love. So I also think that this point right here points us forward to our welcome home. So in February, I think, I preached a message in Revelation 19, about a perfect marriage, Um, a coming together of God and his people. Okay, so Revelation 19 talks about this thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the union between Christ and his people, the church, um, happens. It's it's a supper, so it's going to have food. It's going to be great food, right? Because it's going to be in the presence of God. Nothing is bad there. There's no messed up recipes or I forgot to put the sugar and the salt in this recipe, right? There's none of that. It's going to be great. And and the people, God's people, will be clothed with fine linens. So we can kind of see the parallels here, right? We can see they gave him the best robe. They gave him the good shoes. They gave him the ring for his finger. They killed the fattened calf. They're having this feast, right? This is how God and his people are going to meet in a union one day. It's going to be amazing. So the three insights that I have here on the Father's love point us to love and adore the Father even more and to love and adore like the Father even more. We love because he first loved us. The prodigal here, again, is not the main character. And I said that the main point was the older brother at the end and how his reaction is. But really the main character of this whole thing is the father. And it always has been and it always will be. How the father loves. We're talking about the God of the universe 
right? Filling in this place, filling into an earthly relationship that we know so that we can understand this, loving us, rejoicing over us, feeling compassion for us, holding no grudges against us. Everything, especially his love towards us, draws us to love and adore and worship and glorify him all the more. So I'm really honestly, and I I hope you are too, because I hope you get this today. I'm speechless when I ponder how deep the Father's love is for sinners like you and like me. And the depths of which he went to make us children. It's amazing. I mean, if you just think of who you are, it doesn't take long for you to get negative thoughts, right? I am terrible in this area. I messed that up badly. All these things that happened when I was younger and I did all those things, I can't believe that was me, right? Think of all these sinful things that you've done. God knows all of them and he takes all of them and he puts them on Christ and he puts Christ's righteousness and his, um, his status as son or daughter onto you. The switch. So I'm speechless when I think about that. We messed it up. We went astray. We left for a faraway country. We were reckless with our lives with no regard, yet he drew us back in, back to him with love and compassion to make enemies his sons and daughters. We think coming back as a child to be impossible, right? If, if this is us, I mean, this is us in this parable. We leave. We think coming back to be a child, that's an impossibility. We think coming back as a mere servant, that's a long shot, but maybe right? Coming back as an enemy, that's very probable. Coming back to my father after I messed all these things up, probably not going to like me anymore. It's very probable to become an enemy. Yet God restores us with a title that we don't deserve. He says, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. So today, as we end here, let us meditate on this love so that we are driven to honor and to serve and to glorify him all the more. We take the, the love of the Father that he shows us in this parable, and, and honestly, this parable is just an outworking of the entirety of, of Scripture. It's all throughout, it's pervasive throughout every line and every page that God loves his people. It's pervasive. You can't go to a section of Scripture and not see it. He's constantly working on his people. He's constantly drawing them back in. He's constantly forgiving them when they mess up, right? There's not a place that we don't see it. We take this love that the Father shows us. It motivates us to show it to others. It motivates us to show it to family, to friends, to strangers, to enemies, with our most important love and adoration being focused on God himself, who has saved us from our sin, who has drawn us back in as a son and as a daughter. So there is a dying world right now, out there. There's dying people within the walls of this church right now that needs this love. And so we can't walk out these doors. We can't go back into our workplaces. We can't go back to our schools. We can't go back to our friends. We can't go back to those places. You can't walk away from these texts and walk away from Scripture excused from not doing anything about it. Right? So here's the main point. If you know the love of the Father, we just read it. We just saw it, I hope. If you know the love of the Father then you will show the love of the Father. And I pray that we can do that. Baker Heights Baptist Church, I pray that we can do that to a dying community that needs us so badly right now. They need us because we're being used by God, but they need God so badly right now. They are without hope. I mean, 
Think about all the things going on right now. This world is a mess. It's a mess, right? And we sometimes are adding to that mess, right? We think we're not, but we are. They need to see this love, this compassion. They need to see God more than anything right now. That is their only hope. And not only their only hope, that is their best hope. That is our best hope. If we say we found it, we got to go share it, right? Amen. All right, let me pray for us, and we'll sing our final song.